Oh my gosh we are back yet again and with so much more of our good friend Michael. Johnny said to tell you to put your thinking caps on as this episode is going to be a lesson in high comedy. Definite yikes Johnny. First off, I, I, I think you're, you're right on. Your, your main point there of not necessarily feeling deeply involved and not feeling like you're tied in, I mean, and, and also how early it is, is still really true. Like we are, I, I, spe- I mean, I say we, I mean like specifically us, me and you and the handful of people in like our WhatsApp chain are like crazy outliers and also the people we follow right. on Twitter. Right. Like you, you look right. at some of the polls. You look at like likely Democratic voters in the primary, not like just registered Democrats, like people who will most likely vote in the primary. Like sixty percent of them have like, oh yeah, Pete Buttigieg. I've heard of him. Mm-hmm. And like to us, he's like, well, like clearly the biggest deal on this and this and, this, and like, like right. people who are going to vote 
often don't even know who he is yet, haven't watched the debates, are like, yeah, I, I have several months. I don't care yet. Who Joe Biden and Bernie Sanders, I've heard of them. Mark me down. And so those are the right. people who have the most name recognition, and they're the ones who went. I, I also share your sentiment and that uh, my, my favorite candidate is Elizabeth Warren, and I'm very glad that if you look at stuff, it's, it's, she seems to be on on a good track, but I certainly don't. I mean, I, I, I think if you had to pick one name, you'd pick Joe Biden today, and uh, I don't like that. I do think I think that stuff about him being I, I, I just simply don't agree that he is a particularly electable candidate, despite his centrist positions. I think that a lot of the stuff you'd like to talk about being shitty about Trump, kind of applicable to him, especially being a weird old guy who's confused a lot of the time. And, and right. honestly, this maybe this is a hot take. I haven't read that much about it, but I don't think it's like to begin with, probably don't like tell foreign countries that we're going to give them aid based on whether or not they investigate political rivals. That's preposterous. And alone, among with many other things, should be enough to get you impeached. But I think that literally nothing will get you impeached by this House. Right. Um, But despite that, I don't, the little bit I've read, I don't totally think it's outlandish that there's some weird stuff going on with Joe Biden's son in a foreign state. And boy, wouldn't it be nice if we could just run a candidate who didn't have focused stuff yeah. going on with a foreign state? Might be a good right. idea if we're running against a candidate who we want to talk about that about. <laughs> you know, like, like, like hey, right. we, you know, we got to beat this fucking weird old man who has weird shit going on with foreign states. Don't worry. We got a weird old man with weird shit going on with foreign states. Right. We let, oh, we have the most unpopular um, uh, candidate, the, the candidate with the, the, the highest unfavorability in like generations running. Oh, OK, let's run the, exactly. the candidate yeah. with the highest unfavorability yeah. ratings in generations against him yeah. and see how that goes. Like, oh, OK. You yeah, know, we've I heard the Republicans this. like this, so we'll get one of our own and surely they'll all just come to us. That's how it's going to work. Right. 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 Now, how, how about right. we just. Try and go grab some fucking other people on the left and see what happens. Yeah, I I tend to agree. I did see something interesting. I mean, this is um, I don't know enough to know if this is right or not, but um, somebody pointed out that Elizabeth Warren's selfie line stuff is actually like um, I saw this on Twitter. So like it shows like a very deep understanding of social media. Like the I guess the average social person's social network is. Is average, but it is around 150 people. Um, so each one of those selfies is like, if you take that, it's like presumed to have like a multi. I'm sure there's some term, some tech tech person term for this, mm-hmm. but like, a, what like it's presumed to have like a multiplier of about 150. Um, so it's a, and and if you assume that each each one takes you know less than a minute, like it's an it's an incredibly and someone who's tip who's heretofore been a somewhat of a, a lower name recognition candidate, like it's an incredibly cheap and effective way to um, increase visibility and recognition of, of the candidate. You know, even if you have to take, you know, even if, you know, four hundred, four thousand. I think they said in New York it was like four thousand people. Oh yeah, um, yeah. You know, like but four thousand times. 150 is 
that's like real numbers for that, especially for that amount of time. And especially if you compare it to like, if, well, okay, let's say she was at a fundraiser, um, which we would then use to pay for commercials. Like it's well, time well spent. It makes a lot of sense. I, I, I'm yeah. encouraged by a lot. I, I, I don't, you know, I hold myself back. I don't get too excited. Right. I don't think, I think that, you know, I don't know. I don't want to. Hey, I don't want this to become a big negative thing. But you know, every every ideal outcome. If you just think about like a uh, one of those uh, those line charts where you see like the shares of different possible outcomes as you go up, each one has like like, like it's very possible Trump just gets reelected. That, that that's like if you if I said it today, I'd say that's like. Forty percent of the chart right there. It's very reasonable. He just wins, and then in all of these great scenarios where Elizabeth Warren wins, which is still a, a, a small piece of the pie, we don't fucking get the Senate. So who gives a damn? I mean, it, it's good that we didn't reelect Trump, but if you don't get the Senate, you might as well have Joe Biden be the well. I don't know. Joe Biden strikes. Joe Biden might do some weird stuff, but yeah, you uh, might do some weird stuff. Uh, like no, but I mean. So that to me feels like the argument, and and I'm aping here. Like I don't, I'm other arguments I've read online, but like that to me, I, I think that's the argument for an Elizabeth Warren, especially as compared to to Bernie Sanders. Like like Elizabeth Warren has proven herself extraordinarily effective uh, from an administrative point of view, like from a from an executive level point of view, um, in helping establish the Consumer Financial Protection Bureau, which mm-hmm. um, then went on to, although she didn't get to lead it, went on to do... Yeah, basic-ass Obama, very, thanks, buddy. What's that? I said basic-ass Obama, thanks, buddy. Yeah, exactly. Um, you know, I mean, it's now being gutted by Republicans and, and um, Republican appointees on the federal in the federal judiciary, but... Um, Still, like, she knows how to do stuff. Like, she mm-hmm. really honestly got that knows how to do stuff. And um, it seems like she would continue that as president in a way that could result in real benefits to people um, that I don't trust the others to do. Like, whether because they lack experience or because their theory of, of the case is so much more um, so much more about political change. Like Bernie's, like, well, if you if I'm elected, that will be a revolution, and therefore we will have the votes necessary to do what we need to do. Like that doesn't instill confidence that um, if he were a president with, you know, 59 Democratic senators or 50 you know, 53 Republican senators that he would accomplish anything. If, um, if you watch Bernie and, and debate, I, oh, go ahead. Oh, I was just going to say, and in and, and like my, my darker moments, I, I feel quite confident that given the choice, and we've seen this, this choice be put to people like Bernie Sanders in throughout American history, like given the choice between, um, enacting a economic populist policy, a plank of his policy agenda, 
um, that, you know, was essentially race neutral in exchange for something regressive on race, I think he would take that deal. Um, so, like, for instance, like, he would expand Medicare in exchange, I don't know, for laying off of some criminal justice reform thing or something. I think he does that, and I think he feels justified in doing that, and I think that's and and I think that makes me nervous. I, and maybe I'm being overly paranoid, but I just I feel I I, I feel like that's the kind of approach I, he would take. I think his words have, have justified such a thought. I mean, if you if you look at what he's he continually people like people ask him very direct questions about race versus class and. His answer, I mean, it, I think it's very clear that he thinks that we have some racial issues, but number one, above and beyond, is that people don't have as much money as other people, and that's the problem. And I don't agree right. with that. And right. I, and right. I, and I, but I, and not only do I not agree with that, but I think that the avenues for making change are easier in the race division by removing some of the institutions we have that just double down on this sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and and so by by getting people into the right positions and not making those deals like you're talking about, I think it's much more doable there. And 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 yeah, I just I don't know. Did you did you let's see? There was a I can't remember his name. The fucking former shitty governor of Pennsylvania wrote the thing in the Washington Post about how he hated Elizabeth Warren like last weekend. Did no, you see this? Uh, is that Rindell? I honestly Ed don't remember. It's it probably right, but it was about how she was taking all that. She she like ran a bogus uh, Senate re-election campaign and raised a bunch of money from big donors. Um, um, I didn't read it. No, I haven't read about it. So we we seem to we, we between the two of us, I think we have the information here. <laughs> but he was basically saying she talks all this game about she doesn't go out, doesn't raise money from big donors, but. She just ran a Senate re-election campaign, and when she was doing that, she just loved these super wealthy Democratic donors. Raised all this money, even though her fucking uh, Republican opponent was a total joke. Raised all this money, and then barely spent any of it, and then rolled it over into her election presidential right. election campaign. And I was like, that's exactly, I, I'm now 100% confident I want to vote for you. That's exactly right. Thank you for that. Take, go out there, get their fucking money, and then come back here and tell them to fuck off. That that's that's right. That's what I. That's who I'm looking to vote for. That's right. I mean, I don't trust. I wouldn't. I, I don't. Tr- I don't know why anyone. It's not really a question of trust because because there are strong incentives to make these sorts of decisions. So it's not a stupid decision per se. But like, take who, if if you're giving me your money for free, I will take it. And I'm going to do whatever the hell I want to do. It, I think it shows, and for a former governor, it's probably just cynicism. I think it shows a misunderstanding of the way money impacts politics. Like, I mean, I only work in local politics. I don't know shit about the way national politics works. But I have seen and been a part of these sorts of decisions. Um, and... Money doesn't do, money doesn't get you there. Like, it's, there are, especially, and this is probably where the difference between local and national is probably most important, and therefore most, my point of view is probably 
most misleading, but there are there are a million different ways to garner like goodwill from elected officials, like and therefore the benefit of the doubt, and therefore you get them to think twice about. It's like that's really what it's about. It's about trying to get the benefit of the doubt because most politicians, in my experience, like view themselves as honest brokers and as people who are trying to do the right thing. But these are hard decisions they have to make, and you, sometimes it's like a toss-up or a judgment call or whatever, right? So it's like all of this lobbying, um, donate, donating, all that. It's just about I would characterize it as like how do we get the benefit of the doubt more often than not from this mm-hmm. from this guy. But you can also get it by like going, having gone to the same college, or being their neighbor, or whatever. And like those those same sorts of things can be evil, can manifest themselves in evil ways. Like because like especially national politicians live in uh, exclusionary suburbs with only other rich people, right? And so like you don't donate to the Supreme Court, but all the Supreme Court justices spend all of their time among other rich people socially and professionally and it warps their mind right mm-hmm. so this isn't a good thing and this isn't a defense but there's but this expectation that there's a quid pro quo i take money from rich hollywood democrat democratic donors or rich wall street democratic donors and therefore i will make decisions that are more favorable to um wall street or um to you know california liberal branch of democratic ideology i think that's wrong i don't i don't think that's how it works um and if you're running for president you need every penny you can get and so you should take it you take it from whoever the fuck wants to give it to you especially if you're elizabeth warren and you know what you believe i don't think i go quite as far as you hear i do think that at some point like have you watched the debates to this point I didn't watch the most recent one, but I watched the previous one um, with like the two nights. I watched the two night um, sure. MSNBC thing, which was like so embarrassing for literally everyone involved. Uh, it wasn't as bad as the last one. This last one I thought oh, was really? the most painful one. Um, but I will say to me, like my favorite part, I think, and I'm, I'm disappointed it doesn't have more traction. So Obviously, this is a way that I differ from the electorate in general, uh, but I really love it. In and I, I believe he's done it in all three debates. It might just be two of the three, but Bernie has stepped out and said, "And by the way, advertising on tonight's debate will be uh, pharmaceutical companies talking about how fucking terrible I am." And I, I do appreciate that. I do, I do think there's something. Yeah. It was, it was, it's, it's a good move, and obviously this is a little bit tangential to what you're talking about. No. But, but I, yeah, I do I think at some point there is something to the idea of they're taking that money. I'm not. Who who do you, like, who do Which side do you want to be on? Do you like them or do you like me? Because this is not a Republican-Democrat thing. There are plenty of Democrats who will be taking their money and also the channel that – you know, we don't we don't have a debate on Fox News. We have them here. So we clearly said this is the good one. They're still more than happy to say, yeah, yeah, give us that money and we'll put your ad on. This is Bernie Sanders is going to ruin the economy and everything else because of uh, Medicare <laughs> for all. And I, I think well, that's effective. <laughs> so I think but I think that's a different question, though, right? Like that's a question of how to differentiate yourself between two candidates as opposed to the question of 
is this decision that this candidate made right or wrong? Um, and as a, as a way to differentiate yourself, and, and that's why, like I said, there are a lot of incentives leading candidates to make the kind of these kinds of decisions. Don't take PAC money, don't take corporate money, whatever. Um, it can be useful. Um, but to the extent that I don't believe that it really affects decision making, I feel like the usefulness, its usefulness in differentiating between two candidates is doesn't tell you much about what the candidate would do as president. I think that's reasonable. Um, I have, okay, I think I just have a couple more questions I wanted to talk about here. First off, we've discussed, I think, exclusively uh, Biden, Warren, Sanders. Is there mm -hmm. not even necessarily like you think they have a chance? Is there anybody else you give a shit about at all? Um, I don't. I'm trying to run through them. Um, I have a. I mean, I have a decent amount of affection, like. For Mayor Pete, mm -hmm. um, I I know a couple. I have an uncle who lives in Saugatuck, Michigan, which is like an enclave um, for a gay and lesbian, mostly affluent gay and, and lesbian people. Uh, like it's sort of it's sort of like a hub of, in the Midwest of you know. It's like a Midwestern enclave of, of gay and lesbian life. It's also like a, a um, weekend – it's three hours from Chicago. So you have people who weekend there. Um, and he's done – well, he did one and his husband have done uh, has done one um, fundraiser with some wealthy – this wealthy couple that are, have been friends with my uncle and, and his husband forever – Oh, wow. So I see on my Facebook feed, like, these, you know, all these people I know at these, um, at these funders, because there's, there's, like, all these, like, wealthy gay guys that my mm -hmm. uncle and his husband are friends with. Um, and I got, like, there's, there's, he, he, sort of, Mayor Pete, like, kind of triggers a lot, like, of, um, familiar kind of mid, Midwestern aspirational things for me. Um, that I relate to, but I don't find him politically compelling in the least. Um, he like he doesn't like represent for me like a vision of of politics or of politicians that I that I, I really cl I, that I click with, um, like at all, frankly. Um, as as far as Mayor Pete, I will say that like. For me, especially early on when I was thinking about stuff, it like I love that, and this was I think a big part of like his initial rise was he talked about the issues that I care about the most, which are eliminating the filibuster and packing the Supreme Court, and I, I think that was instrumental in like him getting attention as being someone who was doing that when nobody else was. Yeah, he. I mean, he was impressed. Like he seemed to have. He was able to con convey, like when he first came out, that he seemed to, like, sh like he seemed concerned about the same things that we were all concerned about. Like so, by talking about 
packing the court and stuff, it it, it indicated, and this I think I assume was it very intentional, but it, it indicated like, oh, I'm seeing the world the way all you guys that are freaking out, like I'm seeing the world the way you're seeing the world. Um, I think he's a really talented politician, like more so, certainly more so than like Beto, and certainly more so than some of the like most of the the field. Um, I I did. Did you do you did you read Jay Cassidy and King had a piece about him and I think it was in the New York Times opinion section that like I found it like it it like changed it it sort of changed the way I I saw about him like fundamentally it was about this did, do you remember reading this it was, I don't it remember like, this no so it was about the way. It was shortly after the whole, like, oh, he can speak Norwegian, and then everyone was always, you know, everyone online was so, oh, he's so impressive, you know, going on and on. And and the piece talked about how he um, he typified this, like, college town, child of professors, um, not quite child, but, like, impressive young man sort of thing that is very, very white, very privileged, um, and ultimately kind of hollow. Um, he, I don't remember if in his piece he mentioned this or if it just rang true, like through the, like through the, um, the rhyme of it, but like it brought to mind David Foster Wallace, like growing up in Urbana. Mm-hmm. Um, like child of like son of professors, um, excels in in school. Um, has all of these, you know, he's a math like a practically a math prodigy. Um, and not that he doesn't amount to anything, but these talents that he has, you know, the tennis playing, the math, like what does that get? Like what what does that get him? You know, um, like Mayor Pete speaks Norwegian. Yeah, but, like, what does that get us, right? Like, um, politically. Um, Gillibrand speaks Mandarin. Nobody talks about that. Um, you know, Castro speaks Spanish. Uh, you know, but nobody talks about it because he's Mex- he's of Mexican heritage, right? So, um, like, I think that... I I don't know. I think I think it's a, I think it was it was interesting. It was it, it like and it sort of it really shifted the way I saw that guy. Well, I have to say I had the exact same experience except there was I actually just pulled it up while you were talking there. I we should look and see which of these came first because I'm suspicious now. There was a thing in uh Jacobin uh where they said, "Have you heard Pete Buttigieg is really smart. And then this is the, uh, like, sub-headline. The recent craze for Pete Buttigieg, multilingual road scholar and all-around smart guy, is just the latest incarnation of the meritocratic cult of, quote, smartness. It's social Darwinism for elite liberals. And it was very much the thing where I was like, I fucking fell into this. I'm a fucking asshole. That's what this is. I mean, obviously, as, you, as we discussed, I think he kind of played into this with the stuff about the Supreme Court and the stuff about the filibuster. But it is absolutely just a thing where 
you know, we, it's just the, if we could just find like the smartest white guy, then he could come mm-hmm. in and fix everything. And like, no, that's we don't. A guy who speaks Norwegian is not more qualified to be the president than somebody else. The fact that he like read a bunch of books or did this or did that, it it doesn't do anything for right. us, and it doesn't really indicate any. It, it indicates his ability to have free time to go do that stuff, I suppose. Yeah. But I mean, that's that's the end of the line, and. I, I, I reading this sort of thing, and it sounds like this was making a lot of the very similar points as to this article you read. I, I, honestly, like it made me think, like going forward, I want to be more cognizant of stuff like this. This is a bias I have in favor of just like being educated, which is not especially useful when it comes time to like figure out who to vote for for president. Right. No, I agree with I agree with everything you just said, but it's like so. I think I feel like it's like really. Like, typical of like the, this presidency that like you ping like I don't I don't know you but I feel like this is common like a ping pong between like these extremes it's like yeah we don't need some smarty pants like we need somebody who can take on Trump right but then I also think like yeah but having Trump as president is awful like having like an incurious um, xenophobic person as president in and of itself sucks. Mm-hmm. And so, like, so then I'm like, oh, okay, so maybe there's merit in having a guy who taught himself Norwegian and is interested in things. <laughs> like, I, you know, and I don't know what, I mean, fundamentally, like, the most important thing is, like, having a better, um, having a, a having a president and a um, political class that, like, cares about, like, changing the world, like, you know, and helping poor people and stuff. But, like, in the meantime, like, I don't know. Like, maybe the, I guess more li- um, the more limited point is stronger. Like, maybe it's, there's nothing wrong with being attracted to the opposite of Trump. Like, and not, like the all-encompassing opposite but like in in when in can when candidates um convey these like little things that are like okay well that's not trump like that trump would never do that trump could ne- could never do that so therefore i like it like maybe that's okay or at least understandable well it's certainly understandable i mean this is basically the idea like how you're talking people the idiom that you're always fighting the last war and that sort of yeah. thing is that you know what you know, we, we we should vote for somebody who's good for president, not vote for somebody who's not Trump. I mean, honestly, Ted Cruz is the opposite of Trump in a lot of ways. I don't think we should vote for him. Um, I also I do want to go back. I do want to go back. You said that uh, you, you wanted convinced to vote. Me. You wanted to. I can convince you even further. If you want to vote for someone who's interested in things, can I suggest Doctor Worm? What is, I've never heard of Dr. Oh. Worm. Dr. Worm is a They Might Be Giant song and has the oh. line, I'm interested in things. Oh. I ruined your joke. I'm sorry. No, you're fine. Everybody who liked it, which is at most zero to one listener, uh, liked <laughs> it regardless. I have one final question on this uh, uh, political segment. Um, we Famously... Like a year and a half ago, I did a podcast where I made a bunch of predictions. And I bet you, I don't know, I probably made 20 predictions. And I bet like 17 of them 
slam bang, amazing home run predictions. Do you know any predictions I made in that podcast? Well, there you made one about the Dow that came exactly. Through. That's the whole point. The only one anybody fucking remembers is I said the Dow Jones Industrial Average would not go down 500 points in a day in the next year, and it did it like 30 times the next year, then 30 more oh. times this year. First prediction no, anybody I, ever. I don't made. remember. Well, no, that, that remember, was but think, that was the one, and it comes up all the time in the WhatsApp chain. Like, oh, well, it, it's. Dow Jones doesn't go down 500 points, so we don't got to worry about that. And it's like, well, it's the fourth time it happened this week. Johnny's a dumbass. So this time, though, we got a guest on the podcast, and we're making some fucking predictions. Ooh, okay. I want, I want, let's see, how should we do it? Let's do, okay, here's what we're going to do. We're going to do Biden, Warren, Field. Because I, I think Sanders is far enough behind. That's fair. Okay. Biden, Warren, Field. And I want... Just, just, just put those... You know, put them in order and give me percentages for each. And I and before you do it, I'll write down mine so I won't cheat. Um, so uh, probably a couple stupid... A couple questions that are probably stupid. So um, the, with the field... So like if I think... Wait. So what's so like in in which matchup? Like in what? No, no, this primary? is just getting the nomination. Like, what are the odds of each of these? So yeah, this is this is who will face Trump, and then uh, who you like for each one. Boy. Okay. So, I think I have to say. Biden is the most likely, followed by Warren, followed by the field. Like, I don't want that to be true, but I think that I think that's what you have to say. I wrote down Biden forty-five, Field thirty, Warren twenty-five. Okay, yeah, because the the field. There's so yeah, many people, there's, and I there's think so many people. Yeah, especially I think it's. I think that I think the the two most likely outcomes are either Biden cruises, and it's never a doubt, or Biden craters, not even, not necessarily craters, but falls off even before we get to Iowa, or or immediately after Iowa, and. Everybody rallies around. We don't want to vote for somebody as far left as Elizabeth Warren. Mm-hmm. And so, that, but so I've got I've got Field at thirty and Warren twenty five. They're very close together. But and I don't know who the hell that is though. I mean, that's if I'm. I feel like if I'm wrong and I'm underrating Warren here, which I hope I am. The problem is like who the like Kamala Harris. I don't think it's got. Her. I think she's. I think she's kind of weird, <laughs> and I don't <laughs> think she's going to do enough interesting stuff. I think I think Beto sucks. I, I don't know. Honestly, I don't know why Amy Klobuchar doesn't do better, even though I don't like her. Um, I, I don't know who it is out of that field, but I just I feel like if Biden isn't there, there's, we have to really significantly weigh the chances that somebody else does it. But I, I don't think we know very much. It sounds like we're generally on the same page, but we've yeah. just got a few percentage points different there. Biden still has to be an easy favorite. 
even though... Yeah, I mean, he definitely is. It's just, unfortunately. So, I mean, are you, do you feel like... You know, I'm not like, trying to be cute. Like, do you think you could... Do you have any sense of who's going to be president? Um, you know, in January of 2021? I would... I am intrinsically a very negative person, but yeah. I mean, I even like I I like again this I know this runs contrary to to you know the the general belief, but I I think if it were Biden, I'd put the chances of the Democrat winning slightly lower than basically anyone else, um, just because I think I think that you're running the same guy as Trump, and you can't convince anybody who's in the middle. You got to come to this side because we're not. Running a crazy right. old guy. I don't want to run a crazy right. old guy. I want to. I want to get some people on the fucking left excited to come out and vote for president. We haven't done that in a minute. I think that's effective for Democrats. Republicans don't run fucking centrists to come get us to come over there. Why do we do it for them? It doesn't work. That's how we lose elections. I don't want to do that. I want to run some people, get people on the left fired up, see if that actually does something. So I mean, I even if it's even if it's Biden though, I think that I I would I would bet on us to win but I think I did I wouldn't be comfortable I mean I would say that if we can run somebody besides Biden I would guess that we're like I would put the number at something like 65 35 and if we ran it down to Biden then I'd say 55 45 what are yeah. your what are your thoughts where do you stand on that I think that seems right um I, I'm, I've been allowing myself to, to like, see some of the head-to-head polls lately and think, like, yeah, he could lose. That's awesome. But then, I don't know. I just, I'm, like, so burned by last time. It's, you know, it's, it's of course he's not going to lose. The world's just the evil of a place. Like, he's not going to lose, you know? Um I don't know. I really don't know. I don't have any level. I have like such a low level of confidence about any of this stuff. Well, um, I, yeah, I, I I have no reason to think I'm good at this. I definitely thought Clinton was going to win, but I mean, also, I feel like if you did that election a hundred times, she would have won most of them. Yeah, but also, that. you know, maybe that's just the cruelty of the world in which we live, and that sometimes yep. you get the. I I had a uh, my my English teacher. In high school, had a like crochet. I think crochet is the right word. It might have been counter cross stitch. I'm not sure about the differences between these things. But she had a big like thing. She had sewn a piece of art on the wall, and it was a uh, dragon sitting underneath a tree, and it was like picking its teeth with a sword. And there was a suit of armor laying next to it. And it said, sometimes the dragon wins. And I think about that a lot. And that, honestly, maybe even more than most, sometimes yeah. the dragon wins. You know, we, we tell ourselves good stories and we tell ourselves about the world we want to live in. But sometimes the dragon wins. And the dragon won. And, you know, the people of the United States and the world have suffered for it. And God, I hope we don't do it again. But there's nothing to indicate that the people of the United States are so strong that we can just be above. We are clearly not. Um and that I used to think that, and that is the literal epitome of white privilege. When I used to tell myself that, you know, we wouldn't do that bad thing, because 
boy, did we fucking love doing it. That's true. That's really, really, yeah. And so where's the line between, so, okay, so having that understanding is intelligent, it's right. It's also not a controversial thing to believe or to say. Where's the line between that and, like, I thought we, I can't believe our country's doing this. Like, I thought we were a better country than this. Like, which is, uh, at least online, a bad thing to say. Um, a naive thing to say, uh, you know, something you're not supposed to say. Like, aren't we, I, I don't know, I just, I sometimes worry that, like, we're not giving ourselves enough credit for the trauma that we're all collectively going through as a result of not just Trump's election, but, like, all, all of this, like, political bullshit. Um, not bullshit, that's the wrong word. Like, because I think politics is important, and I think all the bullshit that goes with politics is almost as important. But, like, the the bad political stuff that's happening, like Kavanaugh and, and Trump and Gorsuch and on and on and on. When you... I, I mean, I... To me, the bad thing about saying I thought our country was above this is not recognizing the perspective it requires to think that we hadn't done stuff like this before and we're completely capable and excited to do it again. Right. There was ample evidence of how bad our country was. Mm -hmm. And and, and so like, like any idea that, and again, that I had, that, well, we wouldn't cross that line. We crossed that line a fucking million times, and we've done it, you know, even we crossed lines like this under Obama. And so why mm-hmm. should we be excited about the idea that we won't do it this time? Because, well, this time it would hurt me, whereas last time it just hurt some brown people. Mm-hmm. I, I, and so, like, to me, are you, it sounds like you're thinking of this question from a different perspective when you talk about this as a bad thing to say. I guess what I mean is that, like, um, I feel like the same premise is, is inherent in a lot of different ways that this gets discussed, but it's only kind of attacked when it's like laid bare. But 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 at the end of the day, like we're all sort of disappointed with what happened, and in being in being disappointed, and with what continues to happen. And in being disappointed in the failure of our institutions, which, you know, any kind of serious historical inquiry will tell you are all rotten to their core with, you know, slavery and, you know, continue, you know, uh, in other ways in which they have been, like, either set up originally or fine-tuned to perpetuate white supremacy, like, in the disappointment is in like a in, implication that you expected something better, and in expecting something better is that same privilege that is laid bare with the "this isn't my country anymore" statement that is regularly mocked. Mm-hmm. And I'm saying, where's the line? Like, where's the line? What's the difference? Well, I mean, I, I don't know that there is one. I don't know that we can honestly look ourselves in the mirror and say that Trump is such a different thing that, you know, the things that we used to excuse, we 
we we no longer can um it's sad to say but like I, yeah if, if, if we go elect yeah. joe biden and don't do anything then in four years right. elect a republican president there's absolutely no indication that we should ever say oh we'll see what we learn see how we like and I mean, honestly, if we go and elect Joe Biden, I think that's what will happen. I think we'll. I think you Joe just. Biden hit, I we'll think, think you just hit the nail on the head. Yeah. It's it's, I mean, the, it's the opportunity that it, and and that can also be the difference between, you know, like somebody operating from a sense of like good faith inquiry, uh, exploring their preconceived ideas, and not, but like the extent to which somebody's well, like the extent to which somebody has like. In the way that you just laid it out, is willing to like view this as an opportunity for improvement, um, like for, like, you you can, in other words, put it like, in other words, you can be disappointed. You can have that expected better without having that be the end of the inquiry, um, and you can think that Trump is worse. And Trump is uniquely bad without falling into like tribal, um, partisan politics that say, well, yeah, but all this stuff that is bad that Trump does that Obama also did that we're going to ignore. Like you can, you can be constructive about, you can, you can be constructive about looking for a new politics as that, as a result of Trump. Like he has made, He's laid a lot of this shit bare, and I think that yeah, I think you're right, John. I I also do think this has to. I mean, th- I mean, I think the future, like where things go from here, is dependent upon whether or not we look back on this as an opportunity. Yeah. If if if, if we don't do it now, boy, is it not going to happen? If if we don't actually say, you know, what's not going to be the right thing. Just get the Trump out of there, and we'll get some mm-hmm. middle of the road old man Democrat to come in, and then we'll just have like a Democrat as the president, a Republican Congress, and we'll just go. But then we just decided, you know what? Fuck it forever. Who cares? Right. It's done. Like, what that, we need is like a return to normalcy. Like, yeah. Yeah. It, 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 return to normalcy is the absolute poison of every single moment of every one of these debates and anybody who gets on stage and says the return to normalcy is what's going to save us I I, I don't understand how you can get up yeah. there with a straight face and say anything other than I'd like to be the president because I've been around for a while and I'll just be in charge but nothing will ever change right right well th- that was our second biggest heavy hitting segment of the podcast our final largest most important segment of the podcast is a discussion of the last time margaret was on the podcast and how we talked about subway sauces are you ready to discuss this This is very important yes okay do you remember what uh happened when margaret was on the podcast i remember that you guys did a a condiment draft or subway sauce draft is that right i think i don't know if we had a draft now i will say separately one time, I think Lee and I had a condiment draft. Yes. Okay. I think I'm mixing them up. You talked a lot about subway sauce. There's been a lot of sauce talk on this. Po- hey, sauce talk. <laughs> Possible new name of the podcast. Love it. Excuse me while I write down sauce talk. 
in large letters on my notes there. Sauce Talk. Kind of a fantastic name. Anyway, yes, we discussed sauces. Uh, now, I will tell you that my favorite subways. Now, I did not. Now, you, I, for the listener, uh, I did not re-listen to the podcast episode with Margaret. But shortly before uh, we started recording, Mike said, "I think we should talk about your episode with Margaret on this episode." Would you like, okay, characterize what you said more accurately. Margaret insists that we talk about Margaret's episode when I'm on this podcast. Okay, that's true. Mike said, (laughs) my opinion is that we should do what Margaret says, which is talk about Margaret's uh, podcast episode about Subway Sauces. And so I took some quick notes, and I will note that my, and this is just from memory, could be wrong. If if you go, Pat Paul, fucking put it down. You don't need to go back and check. My memory says my favorite sauce, sweet onion sauce. I'll let you try to answer. Do you know what Margaret's favorite sauce is? Well, I'm hyperventilating. Um, I, I can edit this. Oh, no, you're exactly right. Yeah, Chipotle, Chipotle Southwest. Yeah. yeah, you got it. Yeah. I, I that was an exciting moment in the pod in in the original podcast, but also in this podcast. Um, I'm so proud of myself. Yeah, she really liked it. And then I will say, the one thing she really plugged, and I, I could be remembering wrong, the one thing she really plugged was that there was two, two things. One is that I shouldn't be so afraid to get mayo and another sauce. Mm-hmm. And. I'm proud to acknowledge. Like this is, I believe it's been well over a year since that episode was recorded, and I've made that change in my subway order. Right. I, I now will usually go when I when I go to the subway, which is not super frequently, but when I go, I will usually get either mayo and sweet onion or mayo and honey mustard. The mixture is better mm-hmm. than anything alone. How do you feel about that? I'm uh, mixed. I would say I've uh, hey, my order is mixed too. <laughs> Much in the way that you and my wife mix your subway sauces. I have Wait, can we feelings. go back and talk about how you said <laughs> me and your wife mix sauces? <laughs> um, Definitely, uh, oops, McGee. I said what I mean. I, I mean what I say, and I say what I mean. Um, I have mixed feelings. I think, yeah, it's undeniably the case that it makes it more flavorful um, and that they combine and they are greater. I mean, if you do it right, they are greater than the sum of their parts. It is also undeniably the case that it makes for a messy Subway sandwich. Just waiting to hear the downside. (laughs) That's all I got. Uh, so you you unfortunately were not on. Tell me about your sauce preferences at Subway. Oh, you don't want to. Oh, I mean, am I barking, yeah, barking up the wrong tree here? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's embarrassing. Like I get mayo, or I get vinegar and oil. I, you know, now that you say that, I do believe I remember 
Margaret saying that Mike says you should just get oil and vinegar and nothing else every time. No, she she said she should have said, and I think this is what she did say, that when ordering tuna, because it is essentially all mayo anyway, you should get vinegar and oil. And she is, I don't know what she said to you, but her actions would indicate that she agrees with me because when she does get tuna, that's what she does. May I got to I have another note here about the tuna and that's not what I've written down. That's what she does sometimes. You're right. Cause sometimes she'll still do brown mustard. Also not what I've written down. Huh. What do you have? Now, it could be I'm way off here. My, my memory. Cause I, I, so I have a section here. I, my first section was, I, I thought I, I, I believe I did remember what each of us said our favorite sauce was. And I also had a section on opinion changes, which, according to me, was uh, what she said I should do. When one of them was mix the mayo with another sauce. And the other one was I thought she said I should get the tuna with buffalo sauce. Oh. Um, I'll. You want me to look into this for you? I, I, I will say I this was the I had two notes under opinion changes and this one was I've never done it I've never I've still I've never even tried the tuna at Subway at all let alone with buffalo sauce it's become my my go to do you, is it good I mean I gotta just it, do it it's good enough because I just get the veggie I'm basically just eating like spinach and onions and peppers that's like what I so, so you do eat fish. Uh, a, not a ton, but sometimes, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, if it more was good, filling I'd be willing to do it. I'm sure it, it would have no choice but to be no, more filling because I could literally just put everything I normally have on a sandwich on top yep. of delicious tuna salad. That's right. Well, I, I would ever definitely... Do you ever do the veggie be, patty? They offer it. I've I've never even seen someone get it, let alone myself. Is, <laughs> have you, do you like that? Do you enjoy the veggie no, patty? Oh, no. No. It seems gross. It is. It's really gross. My my move now is I I order the the, the veggie sandwich, and then they they assume you just want all the vegetables, but I never do. I I don't like the cucumbers or the tomatoes on it. I like cucumbers and tomatoes, but I don't like them from Subway. And so. I'll, they'll be like, "You just want everything," and I'll be like, "No," and I'll tell them real slow what I want. And then that way they get to the end. And I'm like, hit me with that spinach again. And I just get so much fucking spinach on it because that's my favorite part. Well, yeah, that that sounds good. I do yeah. like I like the veggie sandwich sandwich from Subway. Like I, I would yeah. do. Yeah, it's really it's, good, especially at Subway. Like, were you getting a? I, I was like getting a lot out of the chicken breast or the ham. No, that shit sucks. Right, so right. Cutting that out and just giving me sauce. And some some decent veggies, and like I get the red onions or the banana peppers on there. I'm yeah. fine. I got plenty going on. Um, Great green peppers, with yeah, the crunch. Yeah. Boy, one to the man. This might have not the last, not the last time, but the most recent time in there. I'm always like, okay, Johnny, gotta get all get everything in your head. Because I get the bread and the cheese. Do I want it toasted? No. And they get down to the second section. I'm like, okay, I want the spinach and the red onions and the banana peppers and the green peppers. And the last time I got in there, I fucked it up. 
And I said, and can I get the bell peppers and the green peppers? And the guy was like, dude, those are the same thing. And he just laughed in my fucking face. And I wanted to just run away. Be like, I don't want it. But I didn't. I was like, oh, yeah, uh, banana peppers. And that fucking, he's fucking owned me so hard. I hated it. I had such a bad time at Subway that day. And he was so lucky it was still delicious because I wanted to leave. Oh, that's, uh, yeah, that's embarrassing. But I make that mistake all the time. I say, um, I'll have uh, green peppers and green olives. And they what? Oh, I mean black olives. Um, or I'll have um, green peppers and, I'll gr- and green onions. Like, what? Like, you know what I mean? Yeah, you can see where I'm going with this. How about yeah. you just keep slapping stuff on the fake bread? It's going to be fine. <laughs> that's right. Um, oh, there was one last thing. I actually, I'm going to go back to double confirm now. Um, yes. So here, confirmation for anybody who really cares. Here's the text message you sent me about this segment. Margaret would like us to talk about her Subway Sauce episode and why it's not available for the masses. Yeah. Uh, we had some friends up. in town, and they wanted to listen to it. They were on a road trip, and they stopped by for a couple of nights, and then they wanted to listen to it when they hit the road, and that they they couldn't they couldn't figure it out. Did they ever get to listen to it? No, that's a shame. Um, I will work backwards here and say that I got I don't remember where I was, but I got a request on my phone where somebody wanted to access my Google Drive, and. <laughs> It was just some weird name I'd never seen. But this was right after Margaret had asked me about it. So I copied and pasted. I, I copied the name of the the username of the person who wanted to access my Google Drive. And then I pasted it into Instagram. And I saw that Margaret followed the person and it, it, with the same username. And I was like, this is clearly Margaret's friend. And then I went back and approved them to listen to it. But I was like, it's way too late. He's definitely still not trying. And so I assumed it did not work. Uh, yeah, it's a they shame. didn't. No. Um, it's a good episode. It's one of the best episodes. I will say that the reason it's not available, like you can't download it on your podcast app and you can't get it on uh, SoundCloud because I use free SoundCloud. And that gives you like two hours of time. And so... One of these episodes is like an hour and ten minutes. And so, like, I have to take episodes back down every time I put a new one up. And so, like, you can access at most two episodes at any one time through there. Oh, I see. And if you can't get it through SoundCloud, then it doesn't push through to Apple and you can't download it through whatever podcast app. Right. So, Well, that's excellent. I mean, it's a good explanation. Obviously, like, I I could start the... um, Sauce talk. Oh, boy. I realize now sauce talk might be some uh, weird challenges for my terrible Midwestern accent. Sauce talk might not be the way I want to go with this one. But uh, maybe the so- <laughs> maybe the sauce talk uh, Patreon will be coming soon, and we can all chip in $15 a month, and then we can get great access to the entire backlog of the uh, Sauce Talk podcast. That Most of the episodes which are not about sauce and do not discuss sauce. <laughs> um, Mike Huber, do you have anything 
you'd like to plug? Are you familiar with the show 90 Day Fiance? Oh, more than I'd like. We've been watching that as a household. Mm -hmm. Um, My sister-in-law who lives with us got us into it. And like, I think I still watch like under protest, but I do (laughs) like, I'm I'm not less confident that that's the case. Um, and so for anyone who doesn't know, it's, now I, this season I'm watching now, I think is, is a change in the format. And this is called 90 Days Fiance before the 90 days. And so without knowing like what the kind of, um, typical season of, a, of 90 Day Fiance, this one is all, it follows like, I don't know, six, seven, eight, it follows a lot of uh, people, Americans, as they prepare to meet the foreigners that they have, like, all invariably met on some weird dating app. <laughs> and um, usually it involves them then traveling to wherever these people are from to meet them for the first time. Um, and then in some instances marry that person and then, like, move to that country or like have them move to the United States. Um, And it's definitely the most depressing show I've ever seen. Um, This one guy, this is this like guy who is in his forties or fifties. He works in a nail salon in, I think Jacksonville, somewhere in Florida. I think Jacksonville. Jacksonville is definitely the saddest Florida's town, so that makes sense. It's Jacksonville. And he has his fiance in scare quotes, lives in the Ukraine, and her name is Marie. And he has been sending her $800 a month for years to the point where he calculates that he has sent her $40,000. He just happens to mention at one point, that he works seven days a week in the nail salon. They show him, like, going, riding his bike home from work into his, like, apartment building uh, where everyone else has par- they, they, there are parking pads in front of all of the units, and everyone else has cars. He doesn't have a car because he can't afford a car because he spend, sends his fake Ukrainian girlfriend $800 a month. And she will send him these, like, messages, like, videos on his phone. She never mentions his name. So, you know, she's just, like, recording these things. Like, my love, you know, I miss you, my love. There's, and like, 60 minutes getting him, yeah. Yeah, easily. And, she, you know, they have these meetings planned, and he will, like, send her $1,500 to, like, buy a plane ticket. And then she just won't show up. One of the times, because, and one of the times, she canceled his trip because it was so it was cold there. Um, it was cold in the Ukraine. Yeah. Weathermen were shocked around the world. And like, and half of the footage of, is like, you know, there's like talking heads, you know, of, of him talking about how much he loves her and stuff like that. But then it's also like him at work talking to clients. So he's like sitting down in like this little stool giving a woman a pedicure, talking about this 
completely fucked up situation he's in, she, the woman he's talking to is always like sympathetic, but also visibly like, what the fuck is going on? And every shot, like the, you know, cutaways, all the shots, the woman's bare feet are in the shot because he's like right up in there. Like so there's something for everyone here. Yeah. It's just so weird. Now, I gotta say, this, this does not sound like the show I'm familiar with. So th- this is the new season, and it's before, like, generally on the show, they meet, and they're, like, you're talking about, like, an episode of Catfish, it sounds like. Well, no, this is, like, many episodes, and, but now, now, at this point, that, and that was several episodes ago. Now, at this point in the season, they've all met. Um, so this is a woman. Now they're, like, trying to make it work. A woman exists here. Well, spoiler alert, she never shows up. Okay, so this is this is the Catfish 7-episode miniseries. But everyone yeah. else that they've been following is now... So there's like a 19-year-old girl from Columbus, Ohio, who was like a party chick, and then she converts to Islam. And converted to Islam before the show started filming, but when the show's filming, she had, she can only converted six months ago, and then met a guy in Syria, and then is joined ISIS. Well, her mom asked if he is in ISIS, um, but is moving to Syria, like to marry the guy. Um, so she's like, you know, and all, and she only converted to Islam like at this point, like seven months before. And she's 19. I gotta say, this is is a totally different show than the friendly 90 Day Fiance that is just people who actually are meeting to figure out if they want to get married and both exist. This is so much sadder. No, this one is crazy. Oh my God. Crazy. Like, there's a guy who, I don't remember what he does, but like, everything about him makes it seem like he's like, he works in IT. And he's got like a son um, and he's going to Kenya to meet his fiance who as soon as they like introduce her they, like she says something along the lines of like well he's like not up to my normal standards but we have assumptions about Americans well um, and like and, and, and his son is like confused about why he has to leave the country and like when is he going to be back you know and uh, it is, it's a, it's a wreck, but it's like the most, compe- it's, it's really compelling. So I think I, pl- I think I plug that. It's a crazy, it's a crazy, it's a freak show. I got, again, have you seen a normal season of the show? No. I'm not, no. So we were just at odds here. I've only seen the regular ones, and those shows are like sad for their own reasons. But like everybody is precisely who they make themselves out to be, and it's just like you guys. Is this? Are we sure this is what we want to do? And like it's like somebody from Eastern Europe is coming to the United States, and they got to figure out if they're going to get married. They're hanging out all the time. This show is a fucking nightmare. Yeah, it is. It's oh like a stressful, <laughs> like weird nightmare. 
Where, where do you, where do you watch this? If I want to watch this on 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 demand on TLC on demand. You got like cable or satellite? It's on Hulu. It's on Hulu. Okay. I'm told. I was gonna. Okay. On Hulu. So there you go. On Hulu, you can watch the saddest show I've ever heard of. <laughs> or, or, I have a plug as well. This is a uh, very presumptuous plug, but. As soon as I finish recording this podcast episode, Me I'm too. going to watch the Between Two Ferns movie Me too. on Netflix. And I'm so excited. I'm sure it's going to be great. So I don't even need to see it before I plug it. You should probably watch it. If it's bad, I'll cut this out. But there's no way it's going to be bad. Scott nope. Ackerman directed it. He's the best. Zach Galifianakis, every big famous person you like, is going to get grilled by him. It's going to be really funny. I'm so excited. Uh, maybe, maybe if you're thinking about watching the 90 day death march that, uh, uh, Mike here recommended, palate cleanser between two ferns movie. There you go. That's a double feature if you've ever been looking for one. Maybe. Maybe. Or just watch both. Do like I'm going to do. I'm going to watch between two ferns (laughs) after having seen most of the episodes of the season and I they're not mutually exclusive there you go you, you will laugh so uproariously that your <laughs> tears will just shake off the sides of your face yes Mike Cooper thank you so much for coming on the podcast today this has been so fun John it's been so fun I I think like, we'll see I know I got some I, I got to do some uh, cutting up to, here to do I think there's a good chance this is easily the longest episode we've ever had. Well, my phone says we've been talking for two hours and 18 minutes. Truly shameful. Um, hopefully, I can cut this thing down to a brisk 25 minutes, but I don't have a lot of hope for that. Uh, either way, I had a fantastic time. Honestly, if this one just fucking disappears and we never know of it again, what will be? What will we be at? We'll be fine. We had a great conversation tonight. Yep. It was a lot of fun, and uh, people won't have to hear, you know, a white dude in Minnesota lecture them about their white privilege. So maybe we'll be better off. <laughs> you're welcome, everybody. Everybody. Oh, you know. You, oh God. You know what? You're right. It's so two new things. One, the name of the show is Sauce Talk, and the closing outro is. You're welcome, everybody.